Hey, and welcome to City Hall Stories. I'm Jack English, and I think local governments have some of the most interesting stories that exist. Almost everything we do on a regular basis is affected by local government decisions, and this provides a massive opportunity for real change if we better understand how it works and how to affect it. I hope the incredible humans you hear from in this podcast inspire you to look closer at your own local government and become a part of the solution. When it comes to local government, it does not get any bigger than Maurice Clausen. Most recently the Chief of Staff for Mayor Lori Lightfoot in the city of Chicago, Maurice's role meant overseeing an $11 billion budget and 30,000 city staff, all the while managing the unique tensions of COVID and the George Floyd protests. With a background in prosecution and police strategy, Maurice brings an analytical mind to the conversation that shines through on each topic, being able to understand and synthesize multiple points of view at one time to find a solution. No easy task. Today we discuss the pressure such a role entails both professionally and personally, how the city of Chicago tried to remain empathetic yet also responsible to its taxpayers throughout the 2020 protests, and of course a few war stories from the mayor's office. Please enjoy my conversation with Maurice Clausen. I'm excited before every episode, but I'm extra excited for this one. Not only because Maurice has an incredible wealth of local government experience, but also because he's a good friend, and this gives me the chance to bust his balls after having to mostly hold my tongue this past year. But we'll get right into it. So Maurice, would love for you to share in broad strokes your background and career for our listeners and, and really touch on those moments and positions you're particularly proud of. Oh, thanks, Jack. And uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And I, I hope I'm well, I hope I'm one of only a couple guests who have ever actually just begged you to come on the podcast now that I knew what was going on. So yeah, just by way of background. So I spent the last two and a half years before I reached my current sort of position or my current roles in the city of Chicago. I was the chief of staff for Mayor Lori Lightfoot for two years and a couple months, although I always give myself a little bit more credit because I think for every month that you're managing COVID, you get 1.5 months credit. And then prior to that, I'd been her chief of staff for her transition. And then prior to that, for about a year, I was the director of strategy at the Chicago Police Department. By way of background, I'm a criminal justice person. I spent the, by my attorney by training. I spent 10 years in the criminal justice system in, in Seattle as a criminal prosecutor, prosecuting everything from domestic violence to homicides, to sex assault, to car theft. And then I came to Chicago uh, basically because I lost a bet. I was dating my wife at the time, who was a, my then girlfriend, and she was in Chicago. And I ran for public office. And the deal was if I won, she was moving to Seattle. And if I lost, I was moving to Chicago. So my running joke is if you're ever going to leave a relationship up to an election, never date anyone from Chicago. So that's what brought me here. I spent five years working at the MacArthur Foundation doing criminal justice work. And then I got into city government through the Chicago Police Department. So that's kind of my background, my connection to government and kind of how I got involved. I think that's fantastic. And this next question, I don't mean it to sound too invasive, so to say, or self-reverential, but I am interested in, in why you, you know, obviously I know you, but for the listeners, how did you get to the position of overseeing such a massive organization? And, and what are some of those character traits that you think are maybe unique about yourself that led you to uh, essentially reaching a point of such prominence? You know, I, I think every chief of staff, it's about the personal relationship they ultimately have with the mayor. And so I had a long relationship personally with the mayor. I'd been a friend of hers and worked collegially with her uh, for about five years. We had met each other through the previous Mayor Rahm Emanuel's Police Accountability Task Force that was a task force that was set up after the police-involved death of a young African-American man in Chicago named Laquan McDonald. So she headed that task force. I was involved in it when I was at the MacArthur Foundation. And then we'd stayed in touch 
for uh, the years afterwards, kind of working on police reform issues. And then when inside, when I went inside the police department and she was the head of the police task force, we just continued to work together. So part of it was a personal relationship. And then I think, you know, look, nobody's ever really perfectly ready, I think, to, to run a city or be a, you know, chief of staff. It's always sort of a big of a bit of a jump. But if I had to say, what my sort of specific uh, skills were. I think that she liked the fact that I had experience in criminal justice and policing. Like, obviously, those are things that are huge challenges for the city of Chicago, violence, police reform, and how our public safety structures work. Uh, I'd built a team before. I'd, I'd run um, a team in the Chicago Police Department that I had put together of data analysts, auditors, and project managers. And then I'd done some project managing, but both at CPD and some other places across my career. And then ultimately, I think I had enough experience with, you know, business and project management that she thought that it was worth it for to give me a shot. So you mix those uh, you know, sort of skill sets with the fact I have a personal relationship. So she always knew that she could trust me. It's somebody who's got to be the, her eyes and ears when she's not around. I mean, you're the mayor of the third largest city in America. You can't be everywhere at any time, at every time. So you need those people that you hire that you trust. So if I had to say like that was my, you know, what my secret sauce was, that was probably it. My background around criminal justice, a little bit of experience building teams and, and project management structures than my personal relationship with the mayor. I imagine a lot of people looked at your role, your position, maybe even your your close relationship with the mayor with you know some level of envy. And I guess asking that and maybe even speaking directly to them, was being the chief of staff for the third largest city in America everything you ever dreamed of? Did it live up to your expectations or was it kind of something where, hey, I did it once, I got it on the resume, but God forbid, I would never go back there again? Well, just on your point about people looking at my relationship with the mayor, with NBA, they they clearly are not people who have ever disappointed the mayor before had to be on the receiving end of, uh, of a tongue lashing when I failed. You know, mayor and I still have a great relationship and I love working for her, but uh, she certainly can be a tough boss. And so anyone who who uh, was overly jealous, I could disabuse him of the notion that it was a day at the beach. But in terms of, you know, was the role everything I dreamed of? I mean, yes and no. It was probably the greatest job I think I'll ever have. I mean, every day you get up and you get to do work worth doing. And that's an incredible gift. Um, It's an incredibly humbling experience. It was absolutely fascinating every day, whether it was a challenge related to, you know, streets and cleaning streets because of a snowstorm or, you know, obviously when we had challenges with COVID, how do you transform government to address a pandemic? How do you deal with budgets? Uh, there never was a dull day. It was super exciting. And, and one of the great things about city government is you get to see its impact on the, on the ground, right? When you're working in the federal government or in sort of a legislative body, sometimes you're a little removed from the from the work. Every day I could do a project in the city and then drive and go see it, see how it was impacted, how I impacted the residents. So that on that, on that level, it was extraordinarily satisfying and everything that I dreamed of. It, you know, when I think about how it didn't necessarily, you know, so fit perfectly or things I was surprised by, you know, I think I was sh- shocked at, not shocked, that's not the right word. It, it was a little surprised at how difficult it is to execute everything. You know, you are a the chief administrative officer is the chief of staff for a 75,000 employee organization. And sometimes just making sure that things get done, carrying them all the way from idea to execution is really, really tough, right? Uh, the great line I heard from one of the deputy mayors from the manual administration, he said, you know, a lot of government is just making the elephant dance, right? It's a gigantic organization and doing that every day. That, that was a bit of a surprise. It's a lot of work, a lot of operational work just to get the smallest things done. And then the second thing, I mean, obviously the biggest surprise was COVID. 
you know, I went in with, you know, even through the first year or so we were, we were nailing our deliverables. We were executing what I think the, the city had elected us to do as an administration, the mayor is to do. And then, you know, you have to spend the rest of your time, at least the time I was in the mayor's office, focused on something I wasn't expected to focus on, which you know, wasn't necessarily a disappointment. It was just a surprise. And so you go in expecting to make a lot of change around, you know, things around government reform or ethics reform, reducing violence, transforming the police department, uh, improving processes inside city government. Uh, and instead you spend 12, 16, 18 hours a day working on pandemic response. So that was probably a little bit of a surprise. The last guest we had on was Meredith Reynolds, uh, Deputy Senior Manager of the City of Long Beach. And she had really interesting thoughts on how people around her changed when she rose to the level of Deputy Senior Manager from a relatively nondescript role previously as management of, I think, parks and recreation. Specifically in terms of, in, in speaking, we spoke earlier about your close ties with the mayor. Did you ever feel like at any point in time, or were you ever questioning whether folks that were around you, maybe uh, new folks in your life, maybe from a professional context or not, were there for, let's call them the right reasons versus simply more so being attracted to uh, the access and resources that your title enabled? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Again, I'd probably go with yes and no, right? Yes, in the sense that you know, there's a whole lobbying field, right? And so you do realize at some point consulting field in a city like Chicago and a lot, you know, a lot of major cities. And those folks I knew were were there for a purpose, right? They were trying to get me to move on a particular topic, or you know, they wanted insights that they could be able to advise their clients. And so, yeah, sure, you, you had to you had to learn to you know judge people pretty quickly and get a sense of what they were coming for. But ultimately, I got my training as an old school prosecutor, so I can't come into I came into the world with a little bit of jading, and so that, that didn't totally surprise me. I think on the no aspect, that, that that's what I would say is that like because I came with that perspective and candidly I'm an outsider right I wasn't I wasn't a born and bred Chicagoan uh, you know the, the running joke about Chicago is you know Chicago doesn't want nobody that nobody sent right that's the all-time great Abner Mikva story and from my perspective I'd only really been in the city for candidly about six seven years when I got the job and so I was used to being an outsider I was used to sort of people not answering my phone calls and so when they finally did I knew it was for a reason um, and so I came in with a little bit of that shine so I I guess to answer your question, yeah, there were certainly a lot of people who came at me and I knew what they were coming after. But because I had my background and because I was a bit of an outsider, it didn't sort of surprise me too much. And so I found that tradition, that transition actually decently easy. And, and candidly, like if I could add one more piece in there, coming from philanthropy, it was the same kind of thing. I mean, nobody calls a philanthropist unless they want their money. And so I got pretty used to in philanthropy, you know, people telling me I had the smartest ideas and had the, you know, best work ethic and had the best approach to any problem. And I, and so I disabused my notion of, of me being a genius pretty quickly. So you, you touched previously on kind of the COVID experience and, and in my mind, it overlaps pretty closely with the, the George Floyd incident. And let's take ourselves back to maybe last summer. A lot of people were really torn between empathy for the cause but also maybe a sense of dissonance with the events actually that were taking place, right? And a lot of cities in Chicago was no different. Mass looting and lawlessness didn't really seem like it was advancing the cause of criminal justice. How did your mayor and, and yourself and the entire office think about trying to balance those tensions? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, that was probably as difficult as a time as, uh, well, clearly it had ever had in, in government and in that job, but I would say even personally, 
it was just extraordinary to try and balance those interests, speak to all kinds of residents. The mayor was was given a particular advantage in some senses versus a lot of mayors because of just her upbringing and how she came to the role, the sort of reason I think people elected her and in a lot of sense her background, right? So Chicago is an extraordinarily segregated city, but now you have, you know, an African-American female gay leader. You have someone who actually, you know, even though most most African-Americans in Chicago live on the South and West side, she lives on the North side. She's married to a Caucasian woman. So there's a, there's a lot of complexity there. So she's had to balance a lot of things her entire life. And so I think the way we tried to look at it and the mayor tried to look at it, it was saying, you know, giving voice to those people that had righteous cause to be angry, to be frustrated, uh, not only with George Floyd, but you know, systemic racism, systemic issues in our, in our society, but, but also holding firm to the, to the concept that, you know, democratic protest is not, should not involve property destruction of others. And also, you know, violence. And we we lost a lot of days in Chicago through the sort of uprisings that were going on in, you know, late May, early June. And she stood firm on the idea that, you know, look, we, ha- we will protect everyone's right to peacefully protest anywhere around the city. We are not going to stand for property damage. We're not going to stand for acts of violence. Uh, but certainly how you create a narrative around that is extraordinarily difficult. And how you message that is difficult. And so it it taxed a lot of us with crisis communications. It taxed a lot of us with explaining what our strategy was. A lot of folks felt like at various times we didn't do precisely what protesters wanted us to do in order to give them full reign of the city. And we have to balance those things. And so it challenges you to be transparent, challenges you to name your values and try and give, give voice to those folks who feel unheard, but at the same time maintaining the stability of society and stability of cities and can't we weren't getting much leadership or guidance from the federal government at the time, which made it that much more complex. But upon reflection, I'm very proud of how the mayor acted and, and sort of how we approached the problem. I, I like that you actually brought in the federal government there at the end because that was exactly where I wanted to go. And pretty succinctly, without getting too political, how did the the federal government situation, as a reminder, uh, President Trump was in office at that point in time and was very outspoken <laughs> in terms of how he thought specific cities were were handling um, the pandemic and, and the George Floyd incident. How did that affect how you had to uh, respond on the home front to your own residents? This is not about politics in a lot of ways. For me, it was a lot of it was just about operational execution. I mean, it, to me, it's, it's it's interesting, right? Like people can spend all kinds of time on the federal level and certainly in Congress talking about politics, Democrats, Republicans, right, left, whatever. Like for us in the city, 95% of the issues are just, and this is for most cities and counties across the country. And this is how I feel like a lot of residents feel in general. They just want their streets to be clean. They want to be treated fairly by their departments. They want to be able to go around their lives and be able to, you know, have dinner with their families, spend holidays with their families. And the reality is like the federal government is supposed to assist you, not get in your way. And I felt in general, like they weren't providing us much assistance. That's just, you know, on the brute level day to day, give us some guidance. What are other people doing? How are they approaching it? Can we talk about resources? Can we talk about guidance? Can we talk about how you would interact with those folks? We just didn't get any of that. And so it wasn't, this isn't about politics on some level for me, although I, I hear you on that, on that, on, on that scale, 
It was just also about just operational excellence. Folks that would just wouldn't call you back or wouldn't give you, you know, guidance on things, tell you how things were doing. I mean, the mayor at the very beginning of the pandemic had to put together a call with mayors and put together a memo or a letter to the federal government saying, hey, here's what you need. We need you to do so that we can interact better around the pandemic. And it really came to a head during George Floyd because it was simply like, are you going to put together a task force to how to deal with these issues? How are we going to have some hearings? What do you think we should be doing on this issue or that issue? And not only was there zero guidance, there was almost more sort of like causing consternation in the middle of it. So, you know, I don't have a problem with this sort of critique of, you know, he didn't like how people were doing things, but he certainly would have helped if the president would have given us some guidance, given us some resources or convened some folks to discuss it. And we didn't see any of that. And so just in general, it was a pretty frustrating time just from an operational level, just like in COVID and a lot of levels, we were left to kind of fend for ourselves. Did you notice a marked difference after the transition in uh, the executive office? Oh, for sure. I mean, literally from day one, we were con- they were convening calls uh, and saying, hey, how, how, how can we help you? How can we, you know, exchange best practices? And don't get me wrong. There were lots and lots of good people in the Trump administration, lots and lots of good people in the federal government that stayed through administrations just weren't political appointees. They were pure operational folks. It just felt like at the very top, we didn't get a lot of guidance. Uh, but certainly as soon as uh, the new administration came in and, and look, I've worked for Republicans and Democrats my entire career. I worked for a Republican when I was in the U.S. Senate. I worked for a Republican when I was a prosecutor. And then, you know, the mayor of Chicago is clearly a Democrat. But the reality is, you know, I just sort of believe in delivering good government service to our residents to help people's lives. And so, you know, I just certainly felt like when President Biden came in, folks that were around him or some of his political leadership was were much more concerned with, you know, convening cities, giving them best practices, showing them how to execute and making sure that resources got shared evenly and best practices got shared evenly. Looking back toward uh, your home, the West Coast, Seattle took a pretty extreme approach of enabling a bit of a lawless experiment in the the Chaz Chop downtown area. About was, no, actually, I, I, might, I might critique the the down home okay. or the downtown, just in the sense that it was actually closer to fifteen blocks away from the home I own in Seattle. Okay. <laughs> no, so this just, is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is especially home. pertinent. Yeah, exactly. So, what were your thoughts? So, look, I don't want to be, you know. I wasn't there, you know, at that time. And I I know that governments, you know, a lot of times what's portrayed in the media or portrayed in sort of uh, pictures, you know, everything can be a perspective, I guess is what I could say. And and you really can't know unless you know all the facts in front of you, right? So that uh, if I'm not going to be the person who's making that call, it's, it's tough to say for certain. I will say this, one of the approaches that the mayor and I always used to talk about is, you know, how, how is this going to end? How are we going to land this plane, right? Every time you come up with a policy idea or an initiative, you have to think about how you're going to execute. The policy wonks will give you all the best ideas in the world and, and people in crisis comms will give you all the best ideas in the world, you know, or, or what they think are the best ideas. But those of us that are challenged with executing them and landing the plane have to actually figure out how to do what they're saying. And so when you looked at something like the Chaz Chop, I just, you know, one of the great challenges I saw when it started to happen was, uh, you know, how do you land that plane in terms of making sure that you're executing what has been planned for you? So uh, what you you know, other people think is a good idea, or even you think it's a good idea. You got you to execute it, you know, one through 10, you got to figure out all the deliverables. And so when you think back to Chaz Chop, it's, 
how do you get that land back under control, that intersection back into control? How do you make sure that that group of folks has their needs met or or whatever their demands are? Are they going to meet their demands? I mean, there's certainly a lot of settings in which when you're communicating with groups, there may not be any way to ever make them satisfied. And so you've got to start thinking about that right away. You have to help you know, those folks that you're working with, help them define a victory or get to a resolution that helps them resolve their issues. Uh, but ultimately, like when you give away a police station and you give away an intersection in a city, you got to figure out how you're going to eventually get it back. And you got to do that right away, because if you can't see how it's how you're going to land the plane, you're going to be in a position, you know, you don't know, one month, two months, three months out where things are even worse or you're in a situation where you got to unring the bell. And that's the difficult time. So it's just ultimately to me, it kind of comes down again. You've heard me say this a few times it's about operations and excellence and execution and when that happened, I just couldn't figure out exactly how they were going to land that plane. Engagement has really been on the, the tip of everyone's tongue for really, I guess, since COVID, but, but obviously much beyond that, whether that's in participatory budgeting or trying to get more feedback on a development project downtown or defund the police, whatever it might be. And I want to dig in here a bit. It's it said you know, often that even elected officials sometimes don't always have the technical or fiscal expertise to really dig into these problems and, and make effective decisions, which which really isn't surprising. And the premise of democracy is really that an engaged and educated populace can have direct input into how their community is shaped and, and operates, which may work in a, a an ancient Greek town of 300 or a homogenous town in Massachusetts in 1820. But in 2021, we face some really different challenges. You know, the issues are so massively complex and our attention is so spoken for already, it seems like a bit of a stretch to expect you know, regular folks like myself to understand how money should be spent for roading, for water pipes, for public safety, whatever it might be. Does that resonate with you at all? Or do you still hold out hope uh, yeah. that a city for a city like Chicago of such complexity and scale can be effectively governed by the masses? Oh, that's a, it's an extraordinarily good question. Uh, and, you know, obviously, you know, for your listeners, I mean, it's one of the things that you and I work on on a daily basis, uh, you know, through sort of our work or in our day job, you know, trying to figure out how efforts of democratic engagement can improve governance. What I would say is this. I am a true believer that in a Republican form of government, right, the platonic Republican, not the party Republican. And by that, I mean, we elect folks who are supposedly experts in the field and represent our interests to make those decisions for us. And so it's not our, we're not a direct democracy. We don't go, we shouldn't, we should not go to, nor should it be our, our goal or ideal to go on a website and, and click through the 500 decisions that city government has to make on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and say exactly how we feel on every issue. We're not looking, we're not governing as the mayor used to say all the time by plebiscite. Right. But what we do need to do, I think, is recognize that when we are leaders or when we are executing in government, that we don't always have every perspective in our mind at any one time. Right. We are a conglomeration of our own experiences, our own backgrounds, our own biases. When you staff staff up, you hire folks with their own biases and their own backgrounds. And so that's why it's really important to hire a very diverse and complex workforce so that you see all those perspectives. And so for my from my point of view, the, the point of engagement in democratic governance is to make sure that you're hearing all the different perspectives that you can so you can improve performance. You're never going to get a perfect view of what your jurisdiction 
looks like or what it exactly feels. So you're the expert. You've got to make that decision because that's what you're hired to do. That's your job. But you should aim to try and understand those perspectives that aren't your own and recognize going humbly that you don't have those. So that means, you know, having town halls. That means finding ways of engaging through the internet and engaging through your resident and finding ways to connect to all your residents so you can do your best to represent all views in your decision-making and your perspective can be improved. Some of the worst, you know, sort of failings in governance come from, you know, decision-makers or leaders who believed that they had all the perspective in mind and didn't and just didn't make very obvious mistakes because they hadn't asked enough people, right? You know, whether that be, you know, disbanding the Iraqi army, or that's just something as simple, you know, as it is, you know, school crossing, right? Where you place something in a road, those, those challenges can be improved if you seek more guidance and you seek more input. But I totally agree. We, we should not be expecting our residents to be involved in every single decision, nor do we think, nor do I think that we should be governing by plebiscite. You did lift the hood a little bit and, and talk about um, your new day job, and you are now on the other side of the table working in the private sector, with the private sector, with governments. How has this experience changed your perception of both the public and the business sector compared with being maybe on the inside for the past couple of decades? So what, what has it been like to jump into that for-profit world, right? Um, you know, so I am lucky in that I had uh, a business background uh, before I got into government. I actually was raised in a small business. Um, when I lost my folks, I had to run their small business uh, and sort of bring it to sale. They, you know, in my private life, I've been kind of buying and selling assets and investing throughout my you know last 20 years while I was in government. So I've got a, just enough, you know, business awareness to be dangerous. But I think what's different is when you when you move outside government, you're suddenly only seeing not only, but you're tending to see it from that perspective now because you're not seeing it from the what is government thinking. And so I think when I started to think a little bit about this as I exited government, I challenged myself to really think about how I could improve my thinking using government experience and vice versa. And so. I feel like there's a tendency for business to kind of look down on government. And I think that's a mistake because you know the challenges that a government has to face at any one time are oftentimes much more complex than a business, right? You're you have to not only overlay, you know, budgets and hiring and and you know labor rules with you know the political, right? And getting things through a con getting things through a city council. And on the government side, sometimes you don't you know, you tend to be you tend to think, well, this is just the way things are a lot more than business business is much more tends to be faster in its transformation. And I think we can kind of inform both sides by trying to learn from each other. And I think we'll end up with a better outcome. So it's a long-winded way of saying being on the outside has, you know, taught me that there are a lot of things that government can do well, but like there are a lot of things that business can bring to bear and government would do well to listen a little bit. Absolutely. So no doubt you uh, you know this question already, Maurice, because you've listened to every episode front to back, but we close with a, a traditional question. It's pretty simple. What is one accepted truth of local government that you think is incorrect? 
I think ultimately that the government isn't this terrible, inefficient thing that that we all just sort of should decry because it could never get its act together. That there are so many complexities that local government deals with on a daily basis that execute that they execute on a daily basis that they're actually excellent at. I think in general, people have a perception that sort of just government doesn't work, right? You kind of hear it all the time in sort of conversations. Why can't my city do this? Why can't my county do that? People are constantly complaining. And what they don't see on a daily basis is the thousands and millions of things that staff are doing on any one day in the city, uh, like city like Chicago to make their lives, the lives of the residents better, whether that's moving a trash uh, can from one house to another, cleaning it, obviously, uh, making sure the airport runs on all the planes land on time, making sure the police show up at the right place at the right time to respond to crime. That businesses get licenses issued, that signs are put up, that streets, the potholes are filled. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary organism that's working every moment of every day to solve residents' problems. And, and candidly, like I believe some of the most heroic and incredible and amazing people I've ever met in my entire life all worked in city government, humbly every single day executing their daily duties for the goodness of their city fellow residents. And certainly that couldn't have been more true than in COVID when we saw thousands and tens of thousands of essential workers across Chicago and across the entire country delivering for their residents, putting their own health and wellness at risk to make sure that their cities functioned. And these people are heroes. They didn't do it for you know, stock, <laughs> stock options. They didn't do it so that somehow they could be on TV. They did it simply because they love their, their city. They love their job and they wanted to deliver for their residents. So to me, I think the thing that people get wrong or get incorrect is that city government isn't working because it is. There's lots of places where it can improve, but on a general whole, most cities pretty darn, pretty darn impacted. So that's what I think we get wrong. Fantastic way to, to end things. So I think this episode lived up to my expectations and some an absolutely fascinating insight into operating at the highest level of local government through what has probably been the most difficult period in, in recent memory uh, and bringing a, a positive attitude throughout. So thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. All jokes aside, really appreciate your generous time today, Maurice, and, and hope to have you back soon. Yeah, that's, I might, I might uh, take you up on that, Jack. I'd love to come back anytime you'll have me. It's me again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and connect with me on LinkedIn. See you soon.